Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Terran Show. This episode is, of course, brought to you by Harry's. Uh, Harry's, they are a shaving company. They're going to send you razors in the mail because that's how they work. It's a, it's a subscription. Subscription to razors that you can shave with. Isn't that... It's a strange concept. Uh, it, it's a strange concept to me. Really, a subscription to anything is a strange concept to me, but I've, I've very much grown to, uh, to really enjoy the idea of them because I don't like having to leave my house. So uh, getting things in the mail, it's like, uh, I feel like I'm a king, right? Like people are they're just it's coming to me. Uh, but Harry's, they, uh, they're my, my wonderful sponsor here. I've actually been uh, been purchasing some Harry's. You know, it was uh, it was Black Friday. Um, I, I, I usually am somebody that, that buys a lot of things on Black Friday, and uh, I was like, hey, let me uh, let me buy some some gifts through my own <laughs> advertising. Like, I don't know if that's uh, that's probably fine, right? There's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so. <laughs> I went to harrys.com slash Taryn, and you should too. Uh, you'll get $5 off your purchase of Harry's razors, uh, and you'll get to feel the wonderful feeling that I feel when I uh, when I buy one and then give it to somebody. So the fun thing about these holiday razors is that uh, it's it's a limited edition shaving set. Uh, it's going to come with the the German-engineered five-blade cartridge that provides a close and comfortable shave, and also that foaming shave gel that's smells amazing and these special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles uh you gotta you gotta get the special edition come on this what are you doing if you're not getting the special edition come on uh and you can also personalize it with an engraving this is like uh this is like top tier stuff here and it's they just start at ten dollars like it's an engraving and it starts at ten dollars and guess what you get five dollars off when you go to harrys.com slash taren so what are you doing why what are you listening to me for why aren't you already there uh they come ready to gift in beautifully designed gift boxes this holiday give harry's and give handsome get your holiday shopping done early take advantage of free shipping to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last go to harrys.com slash taren right now that's harrys.com slash taren and uh, guess how many times I had to say save shet before I finally said shave set. Um, it's it's at least three. Just don't tell anyone, but it was at least three. Um, and uh, I, I do want to point out, all right, um, I have some awesome listeners. I just got a tweet from Jennifer uh, on Twitter, Jen underscore Wyatt. She said, just got a gift for someone from Harry's. Tag me in the tweet. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Uh, if if you are also getting uh, Harry's, just send send me a tweet. Send me a tweet, and uh, I will be very grateful. Maybe I'll I'll thank you on the podcast uh, because it really does mean a lot. So without further ado, let's get to Mike Bloom. This guy he does a lot of podcasts. He's he is a podcaster. If I if I am a podcaster, he is a podcaster. We've got a lot of podcasting to podcast about. So uh, I hope I hope you. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this interview, Mike. He's a blast. So stay tuned and uh, let's get ready for that music. He is not human. He is like a machine, making more podcasts than you've ever seen. He was never programmed for a life because the show is the extent of his social life. It's the Darren Show. Show. Don't ask if he's single, you already 
know Cause it's a Terran show A simple name For a simple guy With a simple face It's the Terran show Hello everyone And welcome to the Terran show It's our 20th episode 20 episodes of the Terran show That's 20 Terrans I can't believe there's that many Terrans uh, But uh, this week We don't have uh, a Terran. We have a uh, a Mike, a Mike Bloom, uh, one of my favorite podcasters. I, I any any podcast this guy's on, I love listening to him. If you're not familiar with Mike Bloom, uh, he got his start on the Survivor Historians and uh, has basically just exploded everywhere. He does podcast all kinds of podcasts, uh, probably uh, as many as me when I'm you know, doing a podcast a day uh, for Big Brother. So. Very excited to be talking to Mike Bloom. How are you doing, Mike? Uh, yeah, Bloom is busting out all over. I mean, I feel like you might have teased people a bit in saying that you might have been interviewing yourself. I think that's the, the <laughs> one interview, the one you really need to land at the end of the day. Maybe that'll be like uh, Terran Show 100, is you finally turning that ki- that mirror inevitably onto yourself. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, a little nervous to see uh, what people will be able to see once they open up the book of Mike Bloom, but uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to do so. Yes, very exciting. Uh, I I have, in fact, uh, unfortunately, big-timed myself uh, quite a few times. It's really hard to to nail me down for uh, my podcast, Um, but uh, maybe someday, maybe someday. Yeah, to, to quote DJ Khaled, you played yourself, and I don't I don't want do I need to spend like five minutes explaining to you who DJ Khaled is because I barely know who he is. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I've seen gifts of that guy. Yep, if he's in the the most I recognize him from is the uh, the like the wireless uh, earbuds commercial where he's uh, going through a, a life in the day a day in the life of DJ Khaled. If as you can probably tell and assume correctly, I am not privy in the ways of hip hop. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's all I know about DJ Khaled personally. Yeah, I'm not I'm not privy in the ways of most pop culture, unfortunately. Um, it it got me in trouble when I started podcasting uh, because I didn't know like characters from Full House or something. Uh, but you know, it, things happen. Podcasting 101. If you go through the schooling process, Taryn, they give you the entirety of the Full House <laughs> collection, and once you're done there, that's sort of a way to wipe your mind. Uh, and then they sort of rebuild you from there. It's very much like a, a Clockwork Orange, which do I have to explain that one? <laughs> no, see, that's that's a, that's a classic film here. I, I'm a, a film major. Mm, that's true. Yes. Uh, so I've I've got movies down, just not, just not pop pop culture movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but see, I, like I just I need the space in my brain for Big Brother stuff. It's everything else needs to uh, take a, a, a second seat there. It needs to get in the back seat and let Big Brother drive. Yes, absolutely. I would say, you know, I would lampoon you for that, but due to the fact of how much big um, reality TV in general has taken up such a large portion of my life in the most recent years, it would be highly hypocritical of me to do so. Yes. So uh, so tell me a little bit more about the, uh, the podcasting, because uh, as I mentioned, you got your start uh, on the Survivor Historians, which they actually had a, a little bit of a contest, sort of, sort of akin to the uh, So You Think You Can podcast that, that RHAP did as well, that uh, we talked to Melissa about. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So I guess to sort of backtrack a little bit, uh, and we can definitely dig dig into some of my earlier years in a bit as well. So coming out of college, uh, I was a theater major, and I was really a hardcore theater kid. That was what I wanted to do with my life. 
I decided, yep, this is the path that I'm going to. I'm going to be a working actor. It's going to be incredible. I've seen fame a bunch of times. We're going to have so much fun. Uh, I definitely did a bunch of odd jobs over the course of the few years after college. I did a touring show for about six months that took me all over the U.S. and Canada. I did a bunch of, like, Shakespeare outside. I did Grease in 110-degree heat that I covered on another podcast. Uh, but the thing that they really told me a lot and that I think they tell a lot of performers a lot in training is, you know, if you if you don't feel like you need to do this and only it this, don't do it. And of course, I'm sitting there like snide 18 year old self like, oh, screw you, man, your years are gone by. But like, I'm here. I'm, I'm a little like a Jewish James Dean. I'm ready to speed through this town and make my mark. But uh, once I was able to move to New York City and I moved in August of 2013, I sort of realized like that that advice kind of rings true. You know, I was sort of starting to like look at greener pastures. I was working at uh, La Pan Cotidien uh, 40 hours a week. And I was starting to go on these auditions and I was think I was dreading them. And I was thinking like, why am I doing this? And that fall, I ended up uh, being in a production of a musical called Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, of which actually the composer uh, passed away very suddenly, unfortunately, a few months ago. But that this was a company it's called Fifth Floor Theater Company that was essentially founded by five NYU students who didn't major in theater but still wanted to do it and essentially their onus was we want to create theater for people who essentially have like 9 to 5 jobs and so i was talking with people and i was sort of checking it out and i said you know what in a perfect world I wouldn't mind having a sort of nine to five job and doing this stuff on the side. So I decided to sort of like soldier forth with that. And that also kind of led me to a bit of like a quarter life crisis because this was something that I had been studying to do since essentially I was eight years old. You know, this was 15, 16 years of my life. And part of me felt like I was giving up on something. Part of me felt like I was disappointing people, all the people that had helped me in my entire life. Part of me thought I was, like, screwing myself over by essentially having to rebuild myself. Uh, my wife, Angela, who I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch over the course of this podcast, was super supportive of me the entire time. So I ended up starting a new job. I worked at Columbia University in the beginning of 2014, and... I had always been a podcast listener for at least the past couple years. I discovered RHAP during actually the exit interviews for Survivor South Pacific. I'd obviously always knew of Rob, but I never never really big into podcasts, and I decided to check it out. That sort of opened the gateway for a few other scattered podcasts that I would listen to, including the Survivor Historians, which I was really the gateway there was Mario Lanza. I had been reading his funny 115 stuff on the internet since the very beginning when it was on MySpace, uh, back when my MySpace picture was me imitating Zach Braff with balls <laughs> written across my forehead. Uh, very lucky that MySpace has gotten shut down, so any future employers did not see that. It's a great but movie. I, Garden State. I, 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 Garden State was fantastic. I was also going through, like, speaking of, like, uh, you know, artsy films, that was when back in, like, uh, high school, I was dating, I went through a phase where I was dating, like, very artsy filmmakers 
that's a very niche market, but like that's the, how I somehow uh, found myself in. And so like we watched, we watched like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We watched like so many movies together. And I'm happy it, it sort of built my palette. Admittedly, my very limited palette, but I was able to build it out a little bit more. Uh, but that's how we watched Garden State, and we were all like having a big old co-ed sleepover one night, and we decided this would be a funny thing to do and take a picture of. Maybe I'll be able to find the picture in the dregs of the internet, but. Back to the to the point at hand, so I was sort of like aimless at this point, right? I had sort of given up on my main career choice. I was starting off this other job, but I was trying to figure out like, okay, I want to perform on the side, but what does that mean? And the Survivor Historian sort of sent out a calling card. They said, okay, Paul Paul Oselson, uh, he is in Germany, he's studying abroad, but he is going to be, uh, his internet is not allowing him to be able to podcast regularly with us. We can't wait. We've already waited nine months. Let's do a contest. And I never podcasted before. Um, I had done radio when I was in college for a couple of years. Uh, our radio show was called Pterodactyl Planet. And the game of Pterodactyl Planet was we're going to find random CDs in the studio and play funny sounding songs. Uh, it was we surprisingly found like all clean tracks, uh, but it was basically like the random show. Uh, <laughs> we were just basically putting everything on shuffle before that was a thing. But I had a lot of fun getting to do that. And of course, I had been doing improv since I was in high school and that have sort of built uh, to a bit of a fever pitch as well in college. So I had done that, but I never officially did podcasting before. Uh, so I'm like, all right, let me just submit my application here. Surprisingly, I was quote unquote accepted to do a first round interview and God, this is going to sound so I'm going to like pre do a precursor to this podcast, like 20 minutes in already by saying that <laughs> this is going to be a very cheesy podcast about podcasting because <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, Taryn. I mean, this is probably my favorite thing to do in the world and i think mm -hmm. we'll talk about the, the merits of getting to do this type of stuff later on but when i sat down and talked with mario lanza and jay fisher about uh survivor i think it was like survivor cook islands or something like that and getting to, to just talk with them over skype and joke around with them i mean i kid you not i like hopped off of skype and i it felt electric and it's oh god this is so freaking weird and over the top <laughs> to say but like i felt a legitimate adrenaline rush that i had not felt performing in a significant portion of time near the my latter days career of being a performer full-time i i wouldn't say i was an auto drive but i was definitely like okay i'll go out i'll do this thing and then i'll come back and concentrate on you know sitting around and reading the book that i want to do this is one of the first times in a while that i really felt like wait i, I get to like sit here and talk with people and just have conversations and it goes out to the internet for people to hopefully enjoy. And so, you know, I had been talking with Rob at the time, uh, completely differently. I was doing a bunch of, there, there's a, you know, you know, this story where, uh, you know, we'd, uh, I'd been consulting him on a bunch of random website stuff, uh, using the moniker of Mr. X. <laughs> uh, but a after that happened, I, I reached out to Rob and I said, like, I mean, I, I just did this first podcast, and I, I don't know what's going to happen with this contest, but I think I want to try podcasting. I was wondering if you could assist me. And I mean, who knows what that would have meant if I ended up not winning the contest. I was very fortunate in that I, I received an invitation to the second round where I did like a sort of finals interview, and then I ended up getting offered the spot. And again, it's so cheesy, but I was uh, sitting in my cubicle in my Columbia office. I got an email 
from Mario Lanza saying, how would you like to become a Survivor historian? And I kid you not, I, like, got up and, like, did basically, like, probably, like, 10 to 15 laps around the floor <laughs> in my office. Because, like, this was, I don't know, this this was something that made me feel good instinctually. And I just, it was such a great turnaround where two months ago I really felt completely aimless in my life and not knowing exactly what I wanted to do whatsoever. This was at least something that I could pick up as a hobby. And I, to this day, am so flattered and shocked by even how it's taken me and where it's taken me thus far over the course of only, you know, three years and change. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can very much relate to that. Uh, when you when you were talking about uh, how you, it, like it needs to feel like the thing that you have to do because you can't do anything else, uh, I immediately thought like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what happened to me when I started podcasting. Like, I was just like, I can't work at my other job like that can't be my life now that I know about this because uh like it was fine before like it was like uh it's a job you know I'm living a life outside of it but when I started podcasting it was just immediately like uh th no this this is this is what I love doing yeah it's so interesting because like I don't know uh again this sounds so holistic I'll I promise I'll stop like putting those like this self-effacing statements before <laughs> I say everything eventually but I mean, I, I you hear about, like, people finding their calling and, like, a moment of, of coalescence when you're like, okay, this makes sense. This is sort of, like, not what I'm meant to do, but, like, this is really what I should be doing. And I, I hadn't even felt that with performing a lot. I had a lot of fun getting to perform previously, but there's something different with podcasting. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I, I think part of it might be the material that I've gotten to talk about. Uh, reality TV, there's a reason why I reached out to Rob under the moniker of Mr. X, not just because I'm a big creepo. When I was growing up, uh, reality TV uh, hit its boom, you know, when I was around like 10, 11 years old. Uh, and I remember like watching the first couple seasons of Survivor with my family. And then as the seasons kind of winnowed down, like I watched season five with my sister and then she stopped watching by season seven. And then my, uh, the, the only person I talked to during Pearl Islands was like my, uh, my world history teacher, freshman year of high school. And then she stopped watching. And so I felt in my personal circle that I was increasingly becoming the only person that was taking any reality TV in. And so I sort of turned to the internet. Uh, and I didn't necessarily say, like, you know, I made a bunch of friends from the Internet during that time. I was, uh, you know, uh, ghosting on Survivor Sucks. I would even go on there and, like, post popularity polls. And, like, I wouldn't necessarily take part in, like, the OTT flaming that would occur on there. But I, I, Survivor Sucks is very integral to, like, the uh, the building blocks of my reality TV fandom. But in my real life, I had nobody to talk this to. And, and at the same time, I almost felt like... Uh, this was something that was not only uncool, but I would be publicly shamed for enjoying. Uh, you know, in that age is so pivotal about like what's cool and not, and what's not cool. <laughs> so I felt like if I had told anybody that I had even enjoyed these shows, uh, you know, I would be mocked mercilessly. Of course, looking back on it, that is a uh, that is not a thing whatsoever. And I'm so happy to find out that like a lot of people have their kids and their teenagers watching the show. I know, uh, you know, a lot of teachers even like to show Survivor to the to their kids, which is so awesome because I didn't get that opportunity, uh, and even in college. I became, this is an unfortunate term to sort of uh, connotate it, but I sort of became more and more of a closeted reality TV fan in that 
like I would really shut myself away in my room and watch like the finale of Survivor Heroes versus Villains and not tell anybody what I was doing. And I, I think uh, a comment that I think a lot of people have when I podcast is that uh, almost begrudgingly so, I am uh, very high energy and a little manic and very excitable. And the reason why that is is because, Taryn, for so many years, I've had nobody to talk this about this with, you know? I could go online and, and post a couple things, but there's nobody that I could actually sit down and have a face-to-face -face or a mic-to-mic -mic conversation with. And to now have this opportunity to talk about all these things, all these shows that I have watched endlessly on a loop year after year for such a, a good portion of my life it was like uh opening up the gates to shangri-la i still can't believe that i get to talk about how much i nerdily obsess over reality tv so that was another calling as well i mean i'm very lucky in that i've gotten to cover a lot of other scripted stuff and movie stuff as well but reality tv was such a formative part of who i was that i really had to shut away due to what i thought were societal constrictions that to be able to sort of let my freak flag fly in a way and have people at least somewhat enjoy that content as a result is really just, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. Yeah, I mean, uh, as somebody that, that grew up loving performance and, and expression, I imagine, it must have been particularly sort of uh, difficult for you to have to hold things in like that. And I can see that, you know, once you got to the point where you were able to release it, it was sort of like a valve. And, uh, you know, it's not only are you doing something performative, but you're doing it about the thing that you love and haven't been able to talk about for so long. Yeah, and I think the, the performative element definitely ties in as well because, I mean, the way I sort of pose the podcasting thing to a lot of the people that I went to school with who we were all theater kids together, I mean, it really is a form of performing, even though not everyone who podcasts really is like a quote-unquote actor necessarily. There are so many performative elements in it. It's, a, you know, being an entertaining persona. It's about putting on a certain voice sometimes or delivering things in a certain way. And I guess it ties into like, again, not to go too holistic with everything, but even from a young age, I sort of knew I was born to entertain, if that makes sense. I remember having a very formative moment when I was eight years old, one of the first shows I did, uh, we had like a kids community theater where you would pay to basically get a part written for you in one of these shows. And the show was called a Cosmic Nightingale, where they had an aliens visit from another planet because they heard some lady's voice on the radio and wanted to take her in their spaceship or some sort of cockamamie nonsense like that uh but i remember i was just given the random part to play like uh, a mad scientist and for some reason in my like little eight-year-old demented brain i thought like you know what this this would be fun if i like gave him a weird german accent i guess i was channeling frankenstein to this day i still don't really know uh but i remember putting on this bastardized third graders version of a german accent and people laughing. And it, it was a new feeling in me. You know, I, I think ultimately I do what I like, what I do in my life, both in and out of podcasting, because I like to make people happy, whatever that means. If that means making horrible puns in the articles I write, if it means making cockamamie theories about TV shows on podcasts, if it means getting in front of an audience and mugging to them completely while doing Pratt Falls. It's something that's been such an integral part of my life and has really driven who I am as a person, even socially. 
as well. I'm someone who who wants to make sure that everyone's happy, and I, I want to. I very much put others in front of myself, which can admittedly be a little unhealthy sometimes, to make sure that everyone's happy. So that's that sort of has tied into why I sort of kept performing and how that sort of segued into podcasting as well. This idea of I want to entertain. I want people to enjoy the content that I put out at the end of the day. Do you find that you need to sort of see people's reactions to sort of get that that energy that you're you're making people happy to see them light up, to see them laugh at your jokes? Or uh, or is there something a little more intrinsic about performance itself? Yeah, that's that's really the tough part of it all with podcasting. That's something even uh, almost four years after the fact, I'm still trying to get used to because that sort of ties into uh, internet commentary, which I know you have <laughs> talked with Dom about as well. And you have certainly experienced in the minefield that can be the Big Brother fan community. It's, yeah, it's really tough because, I mean, we can definitely get into this as well. Uh, I have... I have pretty crippling self-esteem issues. Um, it's something that has always been in me as long as I can remember to the point where I don't really trust myself with a lot of the decisions that I make just in life. Uh, I'm the type of person who will like go up to the counter at Starbucks and order something and then say like, oh, you stupid idiot. Why did you say it that way? Or, you know, why did you order this instead of this? Or why did you order this? You're going to be late for this. And so... To put yourself in a position where you are producing creative content that you hope someone can enjoy, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of like uh, in Sunday in the Park with George, which is one of my favorite musicals. There's a song called like Finishing the Hat, which is really all about the intricacies of creating this this piece of art and trying to really make it perfect. And that has been something that I have been chasing my entire life. Uh, I'm an, an admitted perfectionist, really to a fault. And so to compound all those things into one is something that I'm still trying to compartmentalize and it makes it really tough. There are many times when I'll record something and I'll say, I have no idea how I did. I have no idea how that went. So the first thing I'll do is I'll reach out to the other people that I work with and I say like, okay, how did you think that went? Okay, yeah, good, 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 because I thought the same thing. Or I'll like nervously wait to check the comment section to see what people liked and what people disliked. And it's something that I've been really working on as of late, uh, just trying to make sure, and I'm sure you understand this, like, I love commentary. I love interacting with the listeners. That might be one of my favorite parts of getting to podcasts is being able to to actually talk with people, especially at these live events. We had one a few weeks ago, and it honestly is the highlights of my year to be able to to meet the people who we get to sort of get in their ears every week because... Most of the time, it just feels like you're sort of fruitlessly talking into a mic for nobody in particular. And so to, to hear that someone's listening really does mean something. So, and I, I totally understand wanting to take constructive criticism as well. You know, we just started out a new podcast, the RJP B&B, which was a work in progress. I want to hear commentary from that. But at the same time, you're talking about a valve here. If you open up the valve, you're going to get a lot of people who won't, don't necessarily like the things you do. And as someone who has really bad self-esteem issues... That hits you hard. It mm -hmm. hits you really, really hard. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's something that I think every single person I've had on the show has been affected by, uh, in in one way or another. Um, and it's it is it is difficult because you know, it, uh, well, I, uh, let me ask you this: like, do you did, did you find it more difficult with podcasting than you did being on stage and having 
a live audience? Mm, it's a good question. I think so, because on stage, on stage, I didn't really feel like I was being compared to anybody. And that that is something that has definitely uh, hurt my self-esteem, definitely a bit. Uh, it's this example of you get five comments, four positive, one are negative. And for some reason, you, you fixate on the one negative for some reason, and it sort of sends you into this spiral. But for me, it, it's reading a lot of comments uh, like, you know, when you read enough times that you're the poor man's Josh Wegler. You're the poor man's <laughs> Rob Cesternino. You're the poor man's Paul Oslison. Eventually, you're just going to think about yourself as a poor man, right? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a to a point where you're like, well, crap. Am, am I really doing things well if, you know, apparently I pale in comparison to these people? And I love all these people, and all these people are good friends. And it's taken me a lot to be able to sort of build up that confidence in myself to make me realize I don't need to be comparing myself to these people. These, these, we're on equal footing here. We're all creating the same content. We're all doing these goofy things because we love this type of stuff. That's not something I necessarily experienced on stage, you know, because I, I was playing specific roles. I wasn't necessarily being compared to other people. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there might be some people who, who give you criticisms or, you know, who say that they didn't enjoy your performance, but, it, it just feels it feels a little different, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it is, especially because I, because I, I, I do think there's a difference. I, I mean, I've certainly had people come up to me, and uh, you know, it's certainly never been nearly as as cruel as uh, you know online commentators can be. But uh, you know, I've I've had people come up to me and be like, "Oh yeah, I like this other person better than you." Uh, usually, they're drunk. Uh, but uh, it's you know, that's <laughs> it's not like the nicest feeling in the world. But it's it's very different than than reading it online. And uh, I think part of that is like when when a drunk person comes up to you and says, "I like this person better than you," or like, "I don't think you're very good," you're like. Okay, like that's fine. Like I see who you are, and you're telling me this, and you're just one person. But when you see it online, uh, you you kind of just you like the details aren't there, so you just imagine the worst case scenario for every single possible variable mm. that you can mm -hmm. think of. Like, oh, this is just the face of the crowd, and everyone thinks this. exactly, exactly. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, because this is like the the arbiter of taste, and they're telling me that it's that that it's the worst. Uh, when when in reality, it is probably somebody drunk on their computer, like just typing something <laughs> yeah. out. Alcohol is always involved, but but yeah, drunk minds a sober hearts. <laughs> very, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. It's, it's this total <laughs> for some reason this like paranoid seed develops in your head of this idea of well, this one person saying it and. The difference is, like, when one person says it to your face, there's nobody around that's hopefully listening to you. Uh, but when they say it online, you have people that are able to read it and say, like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. That totally makes sense. And so for some reason, it's a totally different scenario. So that's something that, you know, I have personally been working on, especially as of late. Uh, there's, I think, one of the weird triggers for me is, it's so odd, but uh, the show BoJack Horseman... In its fourth season, I won't, I won't mm -hmm. spoil too much, but there's an episode called uh, Stupid Piece of Shit, uh, which essentially chronicles <sighs> the day, the daily thoughts of this character, main character, Bojack Horseman. And again, I won't spoil too much, but it, it really amounts to just this voice in his head, like consistently telling him to make these bad decisions and then uh, simultaneously berating him for these bad decisions and just having his mind race all over the place. 
And I don't know, it was sort of like an epiphany moment for me because I had realized, oh, is this not normal? I guess I hadn't really talked about it a lot, my feelings or just my general thoughts of anxiety and depression with really anybody in my life. And it took a moment like that from a silly Netflix cartoon show for me to realize that, oh, it's a great yeah, show. I mean, it's a, oh my god, it's an incredible show. I'm I'm sad that it hasn't it has yet to be recognized by the Emmys. Maybe it will be uh, in its latter day. But it took it it took an episode from that show for me to realize, like, oh, okay, this is not the status quo. Not everyone has this happen, and it really made me start to think of like, okay, I need to address this because I I don't want it at the end of the day also affecting the work that I do. Again, I'm so grateful for the listeners and the commentary out there. But I think we all need to know also as content contributors that you're never going to please anybody or everybody. Oh, God, hopefully, hopefully anybody uh, that and it's such a it's, a, it's such a hard <laughs> pill to swallow because, again, coming from someone who functions as such a people pleaser and wanting to put others needs above themselves, I want to make each and every listener happy. But you're going to work yourself to death trying to cater to so many people who have so many different opinions, almost completely opposing opinions, I'm sure, as you've experienced on Big Brother, especially that I think the healthiest thing to do for yourself is to just sort of, I don't want to say focus on the good, but focus on the stuff that you want to put out. Uh, Akiva Wieneker, who has become I've made so many great friends through getting to podcasts but he is such a great one he told me something recently that I really enjoyed of you know do your podcast for the 10 people who like it not the one person who doesn't and again as tough as it is to get that idea out of your head of that one person who just doesn't like you or doesn't like the content that you're putting out you're going to make things so much healthier for yourself if you do put out that content for this, this, the people who are really enjoying it and really feeding into it. And that has also really helped my self-esteem as well. You know, I, I've, I've started uh, going into therapy, which I am proud to say. I know that there is a big stigma behind that, but I, I honestly really do recommend that everyone at least take like a session to talk to somebody else outside of your life about what you're thinking. Because what I've discovered is that so much of it is so, I wouldn't say commonplace, but... It's so interesting for them to categorize things and take things out of the context that I live my day to day and really break down what I'm thinking and where that stems from. And you really need that effect from someone who isn't in your your daily orbit every day. And and so I, I've really gotten a lot of assistance in terms of rethinking my attitude behind putting out all this stuff, because, again, it's my favorite thing to do in the entire world. But I also want to look highly upon myself for doing it at the same time. Yeah, uh, can you can you tell me more about like uh, the the therapy? Like, yeah, and this is where it comes back to my wife as well because uh, I mean, my wife is the most perfect person for me out there. Uh, you know, I, I I have a bunch of scattered beliefs. One of the beliefs that I do have is, is this idea of soulmates and of this idea that you sort of do have at least one perfect match for yourself out there. And I'm so lucky that I found mine in Angela. But Angela is is super organized, and I mean, she has had her own mental stuff through the years as well. I mean, she uh, she is someone who is living with a chronic illness. Uh, she has fibromyalgia, which, for those of you that don't know, is a, is a chronic pain illness where uh, you know, it, it's essentially it affects like the ends of your nerves, I believe, to the point of where like some days you can just feel like you're hit by a truck, and then the next day you feel like you're a spring chicken. 
And so I think that's led that's led to a lot of uh, you know mood fluctuations for her, and she's definitely sort of helped normalize for me a lot of these issues with mental health. So she was the one who really sort of helped wean me into this idea of going to a therapist because yeah, I totally bought into the stigma at first. I was someone who thought like, I'm not going to be that guy lying down on the couch talking about that catch I had with my dad and how it affects the way that I act now. But eventually you get to a point where you're thinking like, I don't like to feel like this anymore. I I, I want to feel Mm -hmm. better and I'm so grateful for sort of being coerced into doing therapy because, first of all, uh, therapy has made strides in the past few years to now be remote, to be online. So if, you, if you're one thing that's holding you back is, oh, I don't want to go into this location or I don't have any psychiatrists in town, uh, feel free to reach out to me privately. I can send you the link of you know where I'm, I'm currently uh, visiting. It's, 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 it's basically done online through either messages or live video sessions. So you can do it from essentially anywhere. And it, it, I don't know, it feels so cathartic. It feels so good sometimes to just sort of come on and be like, this is how I'm feeling right now. And to have them sort of say, okay, this sort of ties into what you're saying before about this and this. It's sort of like you coming in with a, a handful of I don't know, stuff that you you sort of just picked up without even thinking about it, and they're organizing them into various piles and assigning them sort of meaning. Now, would I say that this is like the cure-all for everything? No, of course not. I think you talked with Dom a little bit as well with antidepressants about how I think a, a different course method in terms of treating mental illness can be different for each and every person. I'm definitely not the spokesperson to speak towards mental ill care in general, Uh, But what I will say, what really helped me with therapy is just breaking through that stigma and just being able to sort of sit down and and talk with someone just about myself and and know that somebody's listening. And weird enough, knowing that someone's not, I don't know, not not having this paranoid thought that someone is judging me or thinking about something else, you know, that, that they're there to listen to me and help me. It's a really freeing thought. And it really helps me take a lot of pressure over some of those more self-effacing thoughts I have every day. Yeah, I mean, it it strikes me as odd that, like, you know, in in our society, we we're very willing to accept help in so many different forms. Like, we're willing to accept ignorance on so many different subjects. Uh, but when it comes to like like you, you'll go to a doctor uh, to to heal a physical ailment. But when it comes to uh, your mental health, uh, we uh, so many people, I think, just assume like, oh, no, I got this. Like, it's fine. Like, I, I you know, I don't I don't need help with this. Like, I don't need expertise with this. Like, uh, um, it, it's I, I think it's like just the the attitude of our culture. And I wonder if that's uh, that's going to change. Yeah, hopefully so, especially again, as things become more remote and you get to, you know, talk with people. I know that sort of our technology nowadays has uh, maybe built some people to feel more hesitant towards interacting with people face to face. I know I'm someone who is totally fine with that. Uh, I'm definitely a social butterfly, definitely an extrovert. Uh, so I, you know, still doing things online, I'm so happy to do so. But for those that might not be inclined to want to meet with someone in person, they really are, they offer a myriad of solutions nowadays so that, you know, if you're nervous about talking to someone, even on the phone, you can just write something in whatever medium you're comfortable with. This can hopefully, as you said, bring more people on board to this idea of therapy or at least talking out your problems, because I totally agree. I mean, this is something that has already improved my own self-esteem issues. It's going to be a long road at the end of the day, but 
in- interestingly enough, even though it can sometimes contribute to those problems, podcasting is sort of the, one of those opportunities where, with the exception of maybe this, where I really am talking about uh, my own base feelings, I can sort of put this all in the back of my head and focus on something that I really love doing and sort of throw caution into the wind and say, like, forget what people, the dissenters might be saying about me online. Forget what other stressors are going on in my life. For the next hour and a half, I'm going to sit on this microphone and talk about some goofy stuff that happened in this most recent Survivor episode. It really is freeing for me. Now, I, I hope the the joy that I get from getting to do this is expressed on the work that I get to do ultimately. I, I mean, I, I definitely I, am always able to hear it. And I always love uh, being on podcasts with you, especially uh, ones where we uh, we get to fool around a little more. Uh, because you are always just so full of, of joy when you're doing it. And you you bring a lightness that I very much appreciate because um, I usually I try to do the same on uh, especially the fun podcast. Um, cause you know, sometimes I'm more robotic. Sometimes I like to have yeah. a little more fun and, uh, um, it's, it's always great Thank to have you. you well, see, and sometimes the, uh, the fun, uh, I don't know, the, the fun processor gets to increase as well. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of like <laughs> what I, I want to do as well is, is sort of make light too, because I, I also know that the world is a scary place and can sometimes be a sad place. I think I know you, I know you talked to Josh about this a little bit as well, but you know, it does really feel good sometimes, too, to know that, like, sometimes people are going through things and to get a sort of distraction from that by sort of uh, hearing you and I and Rob talk about a shoe winning Big Brother 21. Like, that type of stuff <laughs> takes them out of the, the the real morose place that they're in. And that's honestly what you need in order to sort of survive. And even from my perspective, I hope this conversation also as well sort of illuminates the fact that I, I am a very joyous and optimistic person on these podcasts, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I don't have my own issues going on and that these, these ideas of anxiety and depression and self-esteem issues can be inherent even in the people that you least suspect. Uh, so, again, I, I don't want to, you know, make it make a martyr out of myself or anything with this. I ho- Hopefully I didn't. But, I mean, th- this is something that I've de- dealt with essentially my entire life. Again, you know, I was such a perfectionist growing up i still kind of am a perfectionist really trying to kick that to the point of where like uh, in elementary school i would have like emotional breakdowns when uh when i would like not get perfect scores on my tests. and like listen i was a weird kid in elementary school i can definitely tell you a couple of stories in general uh, but that's something that i've always kind of held with me and only recently have i realized that it doesn't need to be a part of me and that has been so liberating yeah and you know i think that that part of what this podcast has done even for for me who who knew a lot of the people that i've talked to uh is kind of like just point out that like yes these people are human beings behind uh you know what you normally see and hear uh and i think it's very easy to just just look at you know i mean obviously we do it to big brother players survivor players all the time but even podcasters who seem like uh like oh yeah that's just that's the person and this is their personality and and that's it but like you're still only seeing a very small portion of uh of each person's life and uh there's there's usually a lot more going on beneath uh the surface like uh and that's and that's true of anyone um, yes i'm not the mike bloom so, iceberg uh, the mike bloomberg you know, if you will <laughs> yeah. So uh I think I think the listeners of this podcast uh they like to get to know 
um, you know, the, the person behind uh, what they might normally see. But maybe uh, maybe some people enjoy the characters and and that's like that's their yeah. right, too. And that's what I try to uh, to think about, like whenever somebody like uh, is just like railing against me because of an opinion I have in Big Brother, I just try to think of like like this is how they're getting their enjoyment out of the show is like uh, they they're standing for this person and I'm the enemy because I'm saying something that goes against them. And like, that's fun for them. And uh, like, I like, you know, I, I can appreciate that yeah. on some level, uh, but it is obviously uh, it, it can still yeah, be difficult. Absolutely. I mean, that's also something that I've really discovered it again, my very nascent uh, interview career so far in terms of reality TV. But that's that's something that I've sort of discovered is the people behind the characters, if that makes sense, especially on a show like Survivor, where we mm. only see, I know it's a trope to say, but we, we only see 42 minutes out of a three-day period. And so we see people painted in uh, such like uh, such tones of colors or, or such like colors on a palette as opposed to shades of those colors, which we actually are as people. And so what I've really taken a lot of joy of as such a big reality TV fan is to say, Okay, so this is who you're actually like. This is the this is who you are as a person instead of who you're represented on the show. And it's given me such a greater appreciation for reality television to sort of bring all these disparate types of people together. It's really I mean I've I have enjoyed so many things about my short interview career so far that I've gotten to do with Parade, but that's really one of the things I've really gotten to take home. Yeah, well, so I, I like you. You mentioned that that therapy has been helping. Uh, do you, do you feel like you're in a much better place? Because um, you know, I, this is something that that I think was one of the things that Jordan had to deal with when he ultimately decided that uh, that he was going to be better off not uh, not podcasting, not like being. Uh, you know, subject to this kind of thing. Um, but it, so it, it's it is kind of a, a, a double edged sword. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term uh, to use, but um, like it's it's very it's very good. The podcast, if you love it, like it, it's great. But it also subjects you to this kind of uh, you know punishment, yeah. especially if you're already prone to it. And I know that's that's true of of many professions, especially in the uh, the sort of like performance kind of thing. Thing. Uh, but do you feel like you are in a in a better place now, like in a good trajectory to uh, be able to continue without just totally torturing yeah, I yourself? Mean, I, I like to knock on wood. I like to think I'm sort of going in that direction. I think it's because <laughs> therapy has sort of made me take a look at what I'm doing and realize that I just need to to put the good above the bad. I think uh, one of the things that I that I I tend to do sort of in my own private thinking is catastrophize things a bit. You know, to put the bad above the good, to dramatize things, surprise, surprise, from the actor, and really take things to the worst-case scenario, when really I should be focusing on all the positivity that I'm, that I'm so lucky to get from this community and the people that I get to talk to and the opportunities that I get to have. I mean, if you had told me even three years ago when I started podcasting that I would have the opportunity to get to do a weekly Survivor podcast and become a freaking member of the Survivor press, I mean... For lack of a better term, that's a dream come true, Taryn. And I am eternally grateful for that. And it sucks that you have these negative thoughts in the back of your head muck those up sometimes by saying that you're not good enough. This person's always going to be better than you. Why are you even doing this? And so luckily what I've been trying to do is really push those aside and tune those out because 
it is something that I, I want to do with all my heart and, and something that I, I'm hopefully wanting to do in some capacity for the rest of my life, because I like to think that I'm pretty good at it, hopefully. Uh, so it, it's something that I could totally understand what happened with Jordan, especially because he was even looking at a career path that did not deal with that, helping people in a different way. You know, I, I feel like we might be helping mm -hmm. people through a entertainment or uh, an analysis of reality TV shows. He's definitely helping people in an, in an educational perspective, which I can respect so much. But it really is, as a content creator, which I've really come to terms with in the past year or so, about just what you think about yourself and really, you know, as a content creator, having confidence and pride in yourself. And again, putting that good above the bad, ultimately. Do you do you find that the like how much do you find that the the podcasting like being in this this world how much does it bleed into your everyday life outside of it They're starting to blend together uh, admittedly and maybe it's just because uh more and more of my friends have either become podcasters or become more podcast friendly uh, I remember actually one of my best friends who was one of uh, my groomsmen at my wedding went to college together I didn't tell him anything about my uh, my reality TV love when I he had his boyfriend was obsessed with reality TV and knew who I was through the podcast. So that got him into reality TV. And so he's an example of someone who like now I talk to about Survivor on and off and talk all about the amazing race and who they like and who they dislike. And again, this is something I never thought would happen even a few years ago. I feel like there are some times where, like, I'm talking with people, and you might experience this, too, where you're like, I'm acting like I'm interviewing this person. Like, why? No, no. I need to, like, be having a casual conversation. <laughs> but also, what I sort of pride myself on in my podcasting style is that I do I, – I at least feel like I'm pretty casual. Like, I feel like a lot of the podcasts I do are just sort of, like, having conversations. They're, they're sort of – I know I do like to organize a lot of podcasts and, and run them and, and, you know, move things along in a, a timely fashion, but – Oftentimes, I just love podcasts because it's just sitting around and having a conversation, kind of shooting the shit. And I feel like that's something that I've always taken in my conversation. So one has definitely bled into the other. I know when I was doing improv, uh, which, again, I did for a significant number of years and did a lot in terms of the indie circuits here in New York up until last year or so. Um, my improv, I would say, improved my podcasting and my podcasting improved my improv. And then my improv definitely improved my podcasting in terms of just thinking on the fly and coming up with really ridiculous things and especially uh, chasing down bits and tangents. Uh, I know people who listen to my podcast know I could be a little ADD in that if there is like something shiny that comes up, I'm just going to keep chasing that for like five minutes at a time and completely get away from the main point that we're at and get lost navigating my way back there. But it comes from this improv training where you go through these opening styles. And I studied at the Upright Citizens Brigade where you go through this opening style where it's essentially all about finding topics and then riffing on them. So that's sort of something that's ingrained in me. But then at the same time, podcasting has really informed my improv in a way of always having an opinion. Your characters are infinitely more interesting if they have a point of view, if they have a thought about everything that's going on in the scene. And podcasting sort of beats that into you in a way. I, I, I remember <laughs> telling this uh, when I ended up interviewing the aforementioned Melissa and Adam during uh, the So You Think You Can Podcast finals. I said, three of the words you never want to say on a podcast are, I don't know. I feel like the idea of 
ambivalent and meh, doesn't really play on a podcast. You know, people want to see uh, the the Brent-like reaction sometimes of being, I love this <laughs> or I hate this. Uh, and I feel like sometimes when you play things in the middle, when you be a fancy fencer, uh, sometimes, no offense, sometimes it might not necessarily play as well. You, you should have an opinion no matter what about each and everything that you're talking about. And so that really bled into my improv and that I didn't really walk into these scenes feeling like, Oh, I, I don't know what this character feels like. I, I was able to sort of instinctively adapt. Okay, this is what this character thinks about this and this and this. If it doesn't work in the scene, it doesn't work. But at least I have a character set up going in. It's so interesting to sort of see, since podcasting has become such a large part of my life, I would even say that it's sort of eclipsed hobby and has now sort of just become my second job at this point, which I am mm -hmm. so, so happy about it. But it's so interesting to sort of have that bleed into my real life as well. And it's, I, it's also sort of helped me grow as a person, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, you know, they say that college is the years when you really grow. But I personally feel like the four years after college, I grew infinitely more than the four years I spent in college. I know it's different for everybody, but that's what happened with me personally. No, yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, like, and, I, and I've talked to some some Big Brother players actually about this, like, uh, you get out of the the show, or you get out you get out into this this world that you're talking about, where there's tons of criticism. There's people like following your every move, and you know they've got an opinion on everything you say and do. Um, and it can feel overwhelming. And for me, like what I tried to do is look at it like this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to grow as a person and be the kind of person that is able to withstand this, that is able to uh, rise above this and, and be okay. And um, like with that view, I think I have gotten better at that. And, and I think that it has made me a more confident, uh, sort of like um, more content person yeah. just in general, like with myself. Um, and I, I don't know if I would be here without the, the challenges that were presented to me because of of the podcasting. So I think in many ways, yeah, it, it does really help you grow. If, if it, you know, it, I, I think it can also certainly tear you yeah. down. And I don't think it's a matter of like strength or, or anything like that. It's just a matter of like, uh, you know, how does it how does it uh, affect you? And how how do you react to it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in improv, one of my first improv teachers at UCB taught me, you learn best through your mistakes. You know, you learn, you get more from the bad scenes you do than the good scenes you do because you know what you did wrong and how to improve upon them. So I feel like mistakes are almost integral to who you are as a person. And in terms of like my general uh, charting of my life, you know, I, I grew up in suburban Connecticut. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a coddled, sheltered lifestyle, but we grew up in... I mean, when people hear Westport and Stamford and Fairfield, I mean, we were in that neighborhood where kids wore uh, two sets of popped collars for some reason to high school and boat shoes to go with the boats that their families owned. Uh, and then I went to a college, which I absolutely loved, called Muhlenberg College, but it was very insular. You know, we, we were tucked away in the middle of Allentown, Pennsylvania, this sort of uh, suburban utopia amongst this urban environment. And our class size was about like probably only only like 700 people and we all ran in the same circles and we all knew each other and we all hooked up with each other and so i felt like up to the point where i graduated college like i had sort of mastered this element of like being the big fish in the small pond you know mm -hmm. in high school in high school uh 
I, I would say that like on paper, I was definitely your stereotypical nerd. But as much as like the quote unquote cool nerd was a thing, uh, I, I guess I guess that was me because uh, I would, you know, I, I did the musicals a lot. I was so uh, ingrained in the theater department. I did jazz band as well, but I also had friends outside of it. I had friends who we totally did our best slash worst like Mark from Rent period where we're like, let's just walk around with the camera and like capture what the world means to us because it's just <laughs> what is life? It's a flickering candle in the wind. <laughs> Uh, so I, I definitely and like I was friendly enough with the popular kids that like I, I never felt like bullied against, uh, you know, I was actually I was friendly with a lot of them, even friends with a good handful of them move into college where this is it's weird for me to say and it's probably even more surprising for people to hear it. I was kind of the big man on campus in college. Which, again, is so weird to say, and this is because Muhlenberg is such a special school, but so atypical from every other college, in that, uh, admittedly, I was, uh, I'm was i a bit of a workaholic, uh, if, if my various podcasts are any indication, but it really built to a fever pitch in college where I was just doing so much. I was uh, president of the theater organization while also doing two shows at once, while also in an acapella group, and I was in a fraternity and an officer in the fraternity, and I worked at the coffee shop, and I did, like five or six classes a week and i did a bunch of other stuff and volunteer stuff on top of that so i really just got to know everybody but in both of those cases again i had sort of felt i don't know i had felt nestled i had felt safe in a way that when i got out into the real world i was very lucky to have angela but when i get into these situations like hey you're gonna pick up this job where for six months you're gonna, it's gonna be you and one other person in a pickup truck with a bunch of uh children's uh costumes and set supplies you're gonna drive from town to town every week and put up a show i mean that was essentially throwing me into the deep end of a pool without water wings i was i had never really traveled before and i had never really done stuff by myself before and it was a real learning experience. Uh, you know, I think I think we make fun of the verb adult at these years of our lives, but I feel like they're sort of formative, at least for me, as someone who uh, ha- experienced kind of a high school and then like a college via a high school environment, that getting to go through life after college, I'm so appreciative of the time I had academically and socially, but after that, I got to learn so much more about who I was as a person instead of like who I was in relation to all the organizations I was a part of. No, yeah, that, I mean, that makes complete sense. And I think that it's something that a lot of people have trouble figuring out uh, when they're when they're in school or when they're part of, of that kind of environment, uh, because there are so many things to pin your identity on that it's hard to figure out who, like who you actually are outside of all of those things. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that, you know, I mean, going back to sort of like me being a workaholic, it's something that I, I thought would stop at college, but I guess it's sort of ingrained of who I am. And I'm actually like, I wear it as a badge of honor. Uh, I'm I'm proud of it just because I am sort of like a shark. Uh, I, you know, I, I when I feel like I'm resting, therefore I'm like not being productive. I need to be working on something. But, you know, as a result, I've gotten to do so many fun things and get to work with so many people. And I feel like I really did get a lot out of my college experience just because I mean, my typical day was like, uh, wake up at seven, work at the coffee shop from like eight to nine thirty. Classes from like ten to about five. Dinner break, rehearsal from seven to eleven. Acapella rehearsal from eleven to twelve thirty. 
maybe grab some food, some really greasy bad food, go to bed, it starts all over again. I mean, I'm sure you've you've experienced like similarly like straining schedules. Like it, it's crazy that with that type of stuff, I, I made it through college without having any sort of major panic attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I anytime I have a schedule like that, I just like uh, I'm like this. As long as it's not forever, as, as long that's what I have. That's what I tell myself. As long as it's not forever. Um, but uh, tell tell me about uh, about Angela. So how how did you meet her? So this is a fun story. So we we end up going to college together. She was part of my class. Uh, so again, this very ingrained seven hundred people. I think I met her on the second day of college, uh, signing up for main stage play auditions. Uh, and we became friends because we were part of the same improv group. And we really also helped kind of start the improv comedy scene at our school. It had previously laid dormant, but we just sort of started up being like, hey, this would be fun if we play Whose Line games. And going back now, they have like three improv groups, a sketch group, like a whole a sketch improv hybrid group. I, 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 I you know, I become increasingly prouder and prouder of, of the things I've been able to do in my life. And one of them is definitely being able to sort of serve as the cornerstone for that era of uh, re- a renaissance, I guess, of comedy in my school. But we met then, and uh, I mean, we became close friends since then, but absolutely no romantic interest. She put it best. I was such a freaking goober. I know I am now, but I was such a freaking little 125-pound, big-nosed, gawky goober for the majority of my college career. And I was so immature. Uh, you know, I definitely had, like, a stunted maturation when it comes to looking upon the world. She admits that, like, she uh, she came out of the womb 40, and she grew up as, like, a farm girl in the Hudson Valley. So, like, she became much more wise into the world. And I was definitely on the opposite side of that spectrum. But we were definitely close friends and then senior year i really don't know what it was maybe it was alcohol the the very thing that you were decrying for uh people <laughs> to uh to criticize us on the internet might have been our love potion number nine if you will uh what i remember was for some reason around homecoming weekend of senior year so around october i mean we we had been really friendly again uh but we'd started texting back and forth and it had gotten it had gotten a little flirtatious uh and so like one night, I remember during homecoming weekend, I came to, like, visit her at a party, and then we sort of did the, like, I'll hint to you that I want to hook up, but I won't outright say it. Uh, so we both took the hint, surprisingly, went back to her place, and hooked up, and for some reason, nothing happened afterwards. I think what had happened was we had both felt, this is confusing to say, we both felt from each other that the other person was not into it if that makes sense. It, it was very reciprocal. It was like, I was feeling that she was not feeling it because she felt that I wasn't feeling it. And so we just sort of said like, okay, nobody's going to talk about this. Uh, we, we're going to like, we'll still be friends. We'll go our separate ways. Things were fine. Come February of 2011, we have a magical event every year at Muhlenberg College called Pancake Palooza, Taryn. And Pancake Palooza is a night where a student organization cooks up a bunch of pancakes and they bring in, uh, you know, instead of bands performing at College Art College, we had acapella groups, <laughs> as nerdy as that is to say. And so my acapella group was one of them. Not only that, I had some alcohol in me, and she'll admit she had some alcohol in her. 
uh, and I, I crooned out the best version of Owl City's Fireflies that I could that night, and for some reason the light was was twinkling in the garden room as it happened. Uh, and so she she had, after that performance, we had sort of been texting back and forth, and it seemed like things were rekindling, and I remember, like, she had gone somewhere, I had hung around at the event, she came back, and I just sort of, like, I, I sort of just, like, grabbed her and kissed her in the middle of this lobby in front of a bunch of people that would tell us after the fact that they actually saw us. Uh, and so we, we went back and we, we hooked up again. And this was a different feeling, at least to me. This is more of a feeling of like, I, I was still like very cautious about it just because, again, this is also four months before we graduate. I have no idea where things are going from here. Uh, what she told me after the fact is like, apparently she had been talking with her friend about the fact that you know, if if I if I get in a relationship with Mike Bloom, I'm going to marry him. You know, he is oh, uh, he's hubby material, I guess. I had not realized that fact. I can definitely talk about the moment that I uh, there's a there there are two moments where there's one where I fell in love with her, and there was one where I knew I was going to marry her. Uh, so in, right after that, though, uh, so we we hooked up, and we were, we sort of had the feeling of like, well, I like doing this, you like doing this. Let's keep doing this, but you know what? Nobody, nobody needs to know. It was very much a Monica and Chandler situation from Friends, where you know, in addition to like hooking up, we were also just hanging out a lot, and we were really like, we were. I was. I mean, I am extremely lucky in a variety of ways with this relationship. One of them is that we had a friendship of three and a half years prior to adding a romantic element onto it, so we already knew that we got along. We already knew that we could hang out, so it was really simple just to sort of segue into that phase uh, and so but only like a handful of people had known we only told a handful of friends we tried to keep things as secretive as possible one night i took her to my fraternity's formal as my guest and again it could be a little bit of a guys you know it's like oh she's just a friend uh, actually uh we had a mr muhlenberg pageant which was a male pageant the previous year and i had won it surprisingly uh, my big showstopper act was lip syncing to lady gaga's bad romance but the person that i walked down the aisle with to accept the award ended up being angela she ended up being my escort uh who knew so many years later that that would come to i would be escorting her down a different aisle in a different way but uh, i took her to this formal uh nobody thought the wiser and for some reason in that moment I don't know. It wasn't like any sort of magical elements. We were in like a country club. Everyone smelled like the booze they were trying to sneak in through their various flasks. But for some reason, I just told her that I loved her. And she told me that she loved me too. And it, it was it wasn't it was something that in my uh various man whore relationships, I had to, <laughs> unfortunately said that to her many times, but never really meant it. Uh, this was the first time that I really felt like I'd meant it. So after that happened, we said, well, we should probably be boyfriend and girlfriend now. <laughs> uh, so that was the moment when I knew that I had fallen in love with her. It took a little while before I knew I was going to marry her. I, I had grown up uh, thinking that, like, you know what? I'm probably not going to get married. I'm totally cool being that, like, Uncle Joey from Full House, the <laughs> hanger-on who just is friendly with everybody but uh but sort of just keeps to himself uh but right after college in the fall of 2011 uh my father went into the hospital uh he had like he had like a bout of flu uh so he checked into the hospital and then checking out of the hospital he had suddenly said i i, I can't feel my fingertips and suddenly it escalated to i can't feel my hands 
And so they said, okay, well, we're going to keep you here and we're going to check on you. Uh, and it turned out that my father had something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And for those of you that don't know what that is, Guillain-Barre syndrome is an autoimmune disease where essentially your immune system attacks itself and essentially shuts down your nervous system. And so here I am just coming out of college, again, t living in a bubble for 21 years of my life. And I come out to the situation where my dad's essentially in a coma. And it was, um, I mean, it was, it was frightening. Uh, and I mean, my, my mother is such a strong woman, but it was really tough because I mean, my, 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 I have a younger sister. We had just moved her into college. I had to move her into college because my dad wasn't there. And she had to kind of lean on me because it was either she lean on me or she, she comes back to our empty house and thinks over this idea that she, she could be losing her husband. And it's scary thinking about like what, you know, what we don't necessarily know about. We had no idea what Guillain-Barre syndrome was. He wasn't even, he wasn't even diagnosed until about a month and a half in. He spent three months in the ICU and I, I had no idea what was going to happen to my dad. And, and admittedly, uh, you know, my dad and I uh, did not have an extremely close relationship. I think we still loved each other. Uh, we still love each other, but uh, spoiler alert, he survives it. But, uh, you know, I think that he was always traveling. Uh, he's a big sports guy. I'm obviously not. So we bonded in some ways, but I don't think we ever found that one thing that we really got to bond over. But it, it was still such a, a scary thought to me, especially coming right out of college and not only the thought of losing a parent, but also having someone relying on you to say like, okay, you have to be my rock. And I was her rock. <laughs> But at the same time, I needed my own rock. And mm -hmm. I remember one day when uh, when his condition had, had taken a turn for the worse. Um, they, they had to intubate him. They had to, you know, he really was not showing a lot of signs of life. Uh, they had to, he had to pull a Hector from Breaking Bad and uh, essentially like blink out letters in order to form a message. But really, he just, he wasn't there and I remember calling or texting Angela because at this point we were still we were both living at home, so we were living about an hour and a half apart. And and I I told her I was like this this is happening right now, and I'm really scared. And she drove an entire hour and a half uh, to to be there for me because uh, I was alone in the house. And I remember her walking through the door, and I just I just I threw my arms around her, and I just broke down everything that I had been feeling the past couple of months, I had kept bottled up because I, I thought I had to be the strong person in the family and I, I had to keep telling myself that things were going to be okay even when I thought they weren't. And I, this was someone who I, I, I just felt like I could do this. I, I felt like I, I could be this vulnerable in front of. And in that moment for me, I knew this was the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my, my life with. So good news. He was able, you know, uh, after the Guillain-Barre syndrome was discovered, uh, my dad was so fortunate to be able to fight it. He he's totally fine now. He got he went through a, a bunch of you know physical recovery procedures, so now he's able to walk again. He's able to to golf again, which is extremely important to him. Uh, and you know, and the, the most fortunate thing is that he was able to to be there to see me marry this woman who was such a support system for me four years later. Was she like the first person that you were able to feel that comfortable with? I would say so, yeah. I, I mean, I had run into situations with friends before where I felt like I could be 
myself in front of, but there was just something for me about like showing my emotions. It might've been a thing where, again, because when I was a kid and I was having these like sort of emotional breakdowns, I sort of uh, gained the stigma of like, I don't necessarily want to show my emotions because that sort of embarrasses me in front of other people. And she really mm-hmm. felt like one of the first people where no social repercussions, no sense of judgment. I could be myself in front of her. And it is one of the most freeing thoughts I could ever have. No matter how self-conscious I can feel about like the way I'm thinking, she is honestly always there for me, especially with this podcasting stuff. You know, she is one of the most infinitely patient people in the world to be able to put up with. And especially the apartment we're in now uh, was not our first New York apartment. The first New York apartment, I started podcasting uh, from our living room and uh, about like 10 feet away, she was trying to sleep. And as you know, Taryn, my voice is very loud and very annoying. And so essentially, she would not be able to sleep until I would stop podcasting. And sometimes with those Survivor Historians podcasts, you go until like 1 to 2 in the morning. And she never complained, even once. And so I I don't know how many other spouses would be so supportive of them between this and the parade stuff. Just being, she's my number one fan. And as someone who sometimes needs a number one fan in their life when they feel like they're really down that's that's what i need yeah i mean the the, she sounds amazing uh it's it's so you know because i think it's something that that a lot of people uh like you know that you want somebody that just accepts you for who you are but i feel like to actually find it to actually find somebody that that you you really genuinely just feel like i can just drop everything and they're not going to think less of me. Uh, it sounds so obvious, but it's it's. I think it's rarer than people think, and it's it's just so valuable. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it warms my heart to know that you found it. Yeah, I mean, I, I count myself infinitely lucky in that not only did I find that person, but this is someone who I had been friends with for a long time as well. Uh, so like we we know each other's interests, even though I had to sort of break break the the ice with her on survivor a little bit i'm like okay i legitimately this is so nerdy taryn but when she came to visit me one time i sat her down i'm like okay just so you know i'm kind of into a show called survivor now what we're about to watch is the merge episode of a little season called survivor Karamoa. now i can pause because it's half fans and half favorites I'll pause, I'll pause it for you, and I can tell you some backstory on, you know, who's the guy with the long hair, or, you know, who's the, 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 the you know, goofy guy in the pink underwear, and she was totally accepting of that. Now, I might have deterred her a bit when she's like, yeah, okay, this is fine. I'm like, great, watch this season, and this season, and this season, and this season, <laughs> uh, but it's also fun at the same time. I mean, uh, I, I have uh, fortunately and unfortunately sort of also dragged her into this world of podcasting, too, with all the stuff she does with Dancing with the Stars uh, and all that other stuff. But, I mean, The Bachelor was sort of like her version of that as well. That's something that she had been watching for a long time. So things are more similar than you think. And I think in going back to this idea of like starting a relationship as well, I think one of the things that I really needed to rationalize in terms of starting a long-term relationship was this idea of as weird as it is to sound or to say, really caring entirely about another person. And I know that sounds makes me sound like a Patrick Bateman-esque sociopath, <laughs> but it, it I, I hopefully you can understand this distinction, right? It's this idea of I feel like we can be so selfishly focused of like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what 
this was what makes me happy. I need to do this now and this and this, and should I do this? That when you add another person to the equation, sometimes that throws off the balance a bit, right? You're like, I want to do this, but she wants to do this. And it's figuring out, okay, when should we do the things that she likes to make her happy? So that's definitely a balance that I needed to figure out as, especially when we got out of college and we were working different jobs, we were living far apart. It's a matter of like, I have my things to do, but at the same time, I want to be a good relationship partner. And that means having to abdicate some of the things that you want to do in order to sort of see her and, you know, help balance out this relationship a bit. Did you did you find like what what in particular did you find you had trouble with there? I think for me, especially being a working actor, it was a matter of like trying to balance, you know, things that you wanted to do in terms of like, I want to go out for this audition or I want to meet up with these people. And sometimes you're like, no. I should probably go check in with her, especially like if she's having a tough day, like I want to be sure I check in with her and be a good partner to her. And it's sort of a matter of staying behind sometimes to say like, okay, like I, I want to be here for you. And I think that's, that's sort of what it comes down to is that in a perfect world, your relationship partner is your support system in the good and the bad. And that means sometimes sort of much like she did in that one moment I spoke about dropping everything to sort of rush to you and really function as that support system. Do you find that that it's like uh, it requires like work and effort in order to make those decisions? Or have you found yourself kind of naturally inclined that way now that you're more used to it? Where um, like if you if you had to be like, all right, I have to not do this thing that I want to do because I need to be there for her. Is that is that a decision where you have to feel like, OK, I'm giving something up? Or have you gotten to the point where it's just like, well, that's what I want to do. I want to be there with her. I don't want to do the thing I wanted to do before because that doesn't matter to me nearly as much. Oh, yeah, that's totally it's totally second nature to me at this point. I mean, growing up, uh, I had a huge FOMO with basically everything in my life. And that has gone away with this idea of like, for lack of a better way of saying things like, why do I need what's out there when I have what's right in front of me? You know, and Mm -hmm. it's sort of, again, going back to this idea that uh, I, I really function uh to i guess put myself in my own automaton body to to make people happy and i think that should start with like the person i immediately interact with every single day of my life uh and so you know i think we're both very cognizant of like each of us taking our own me time and doing our own things but at the same time it's definitely something that i've acclimated to this idea of well first and foremost i want to be supportive you know and there will be other things that I want to do, but those things will come and go and they'll come back around. At the end of the day, I need to be here for her first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, so what what has it been like? Because I know that she has been doing more and more podcasts herself. Uh, how, how has that been, you know, working out for you? Yeah, I mean, I've loved it. Uh, I think Angela is a hysterical person. Obviously, I've known her for a number of years. I've done improv with her. And I'm just happy that uh, people get to experience her as well and, and they've gotten to meet her at the events uh and i i like that she likes it too and uh we're definitely finding opportunities to do more stuff together i think that's the one thing that still needs to be unlocked i won't spoil anything but we've got a couple of things in the hopper for 2018 that will involve the two of us because that that's definitely something i, I want to do uh is 
you know, obviously she's the person I communicate with the most. I'd say one of the people I have the best natural chemistries with, suffice it to say, in real life. But yeah, it's, it's fun to think about the fact that we're now like a two-podcaster household. I can't wait until the dog gets to do a podcast eventually. <laughs> Well, do you do you feel closer to her? Because that's sort of what Nicole talked about with Rob, where like, uh, you know, she's getting more involved in the podcast again, and it's sort of uh, colliding their worlds back together. Uh, have you do you feel that way? Or, or is it different? No, I definitely feel that way, especially in terms of like, the process of podcasting, how the sausage gets made. I know it's been more revealed to the patrons, especially with the great content that Rob puts out. Uh, but I feel like it can be tough to describe to people, especially when I would like talk to her about the like the rigmarole that comes around with scheduling and recording and all that stuff. And now she sort of has a firsthand experience as to sort of what I've been going through. So now we can both sort of sympathize about what the experiences are like, both the highs and the lows, which I think makes things uh, more understandable for her and more sympathetic for me. Yeah. So tell me, tell me more about some of the the projects that you're working on now. Um, you mentioned the uh, the B and B. How's that been? Oh going? yeah, I just love getting to goof around in general, and getting to goof around and talk about Survivor. On top of that, is just perfect. I would say if I have like two podcast inspirations in life outside of reality TV, it would be uh, Comedy Bang Bang and My Brother, My Brother and Me. And both of those really live in the worlds that I love about. Just being very lighthearted, very goofy, and completely going on tangents that are nonsensical, but you can riff on them for 10 minutes at a time. And I, I really try to channel that in everything I do, especially the B&B. And I've been so grateful for the positive reception that it's gotten so far. Listen, I can completely understand, going to the point we made like an hour ago at this point, if, if it's not everyone's cup of tea, if it doesn't cover Survivor properly... But that being said, we, we like to bring some lightness. There are so many Survivor podcasts out there. We really, again, we really enjoy getting to do them. I hope it shows throughout the podcast itself. It, it's, it's really one of the bright spots of my week each and every week. Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned my my brother, my brother and me. Uh, those guys are hilarious. I, I love, <laughs> love those guys. The oh, McElroy brothers. It, the McElroy brothers are fantastic. And I also... Uh, I actually got into my brother and my brother and me through another podcast they do called The Adventure Zone, which yep. is uh, them and their dad playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, can I just say, Taryn, that like my recent obsession is Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know <laughs> why I was running in so many nerd circles and I didn't find out about it sooner, but I, I've been able to get into like a couple of uh, of campaigns in the past few months, and I am just over the moon it is so much fun do you have any experience with it uh very very little i i played uh like a couple rounds <laughs> whatever you'd call them in college uh and i liked it like i liked the idea of it i just uh i've never had friends so uh <laughs> for ton of well that's the thing as well is that like before. well one of my problems is that i had a group of uh fraternity guys in college uh by the way i was part of a fraternity but it was the nerdiest fraternity on earth and i loved it we were very much the revenge of the nerds house uh but they played D, but i was too busy to be able to actually work on a campaign with them but uh you know I have been able to do a lot of stuff virtually. Again, much like therapy, actually. They've adapted so much stuff to be done online that you can you can join up with people from all over the world. So I, I've been very fortunate to be able to do that because, yeah, I was totally in the same boat as you. Like It was always something that intrigued me, but I, was, I never thought I'd be able to find the opportunity to do it until I was able to now do so through the screen of my computer. But it, 
I guess it really excites me because it really takes a lot of the elements from improv that I absolutely love. And I will say uh, one of the reasons why I ended up sort of phasing myself out of the improv community was for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, I just I got more involved with doing podcasts and, uh, you know, I, I love doing improv, but I, podcasts are really uh, take up such a primary place in my heart. And also with the path I was taking with improv, I totally love and respect everyone involved in the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. There's a very specific path the performers want to take. I didn't necessarily want to take that path. I didn't want to necessarily hit that end goal. So part of me realized like, okay, maybe I don't need to necessarily go through all of this if I don't necessarily want to seek that gold at the end of the rainbow. Let me go into this other rainbow and find this other pot of gold that I find uh, much more attainable and uh, much more uh, joyous overall. But it takes what I really love about improv, which is character creation you know walking in with this sense of who this guy is and then being thrown questions and and uh you know interacting with people and wondering what are you gonna do and responding therein i, I love getting to simulate conversations with dms especially it's just it's such a it's so imaginative which is it's which is something that I've, I've always really uh wanted to sort of live in is even in my podcast is just a world of imagination uh to loosely quote willy wonka oddly enough uh so you know i don't want to fall in that chocolate river anytime soon so D D has like really opened up my eyes very very recently i'm very late to the game quite literally but i'm already having so much fun getting to play it yeah i mean that that was like uh i mean part of why i loved video games when i was a kid so much was uh, I, I loved role-playing games. I loved being able to, uh, you know, be be somebody else and, and you know, play as them and uh, make up interactions. And um, I, I wanted to be a, a writer when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, like, the, it very much appealed to me, the idea of, like, playing Dungeons and & Dragons and, and like, uh, creating these storylines and, you know, acting out as a character. Um, but uh, yeah. it, was, it just never happened for me. Can we talk about video games for a second? Because I, I, I feel like... Sure. And Angela, admittedly, she's in my support system, but she definitely judges me for this. But I feel like <laughs> you would appreciate this. Do, do you, What do you feel about Let's Players in the video game community? I love them. I think they're great. Great. Thank you. I love them as well. I think, I think for me, it's a matter of, you know, I definitely grew up playing some video games. I was a Nintendo kid at heart. But I guess for me, playing a lot of games caused, for some reason, anxiety in me. For some reason, the only games that didn't cause anxiety in me are, like, Mario Party, which, ironically <laughs> enough, probably caused the most anxiety and frustration out of literally every other human being alive. But for some reason, playing games on my own, maybe I just didn't feel that I was competent enough, but, like, I, I just sort of then shut away video games for a while because I was just sort of like, ah, I'm not good at them, like, I, I don't really want to play them. Cut to college, uh, I had a, a fraternity brother of mine who, like, had a PS3 set up in his dorm room, and he would always have his door open, and he was always playing something. And for some reason, I was drawn to just sort of, like, going into his room and just sort of, like, staring at the game and, like, taking in the game with him without actually having to undergo the possible anxiety that came through with playing. So I guess that was sort of, like, my gateway into Let's Playing, but I absolutely love it because, yeah, there are so many fascinating and amazing video games out there that i don't want to play by myself but i would love to hear people play and comment commentate on at the same time yeah i mean and there are games that are basically like specifically designed for that like uh they're they're just fun to watch play out in the first place and then you just have somebody that's controlling the action and giving commentary as you watch uh but then there's also just like people who just 
do anything and just talk for a while and it's like if, if you're a fan of podcasting then uh you should not be judging let's players it's not too far off really yeah it's it's essentially like podcasters doing com live commentary over episodes of reality tv right yeah. it would be like if rob's like all right we're uh, we're in big brother 19 it looks like uh, jessica and raven and elena are sitting on the block like it's it's essentially just doing a live podcast uh, very much so and there's a bunch of different kinds uh and and like you know lots of people will will tune into uh like a, a twitch streamer because they're really good at the game and it's it's like just fun to watch somebody who's really really good at something uh execute it um but then there's also people who are just like very entertaining to watch and it's very like as i'm saying this it's like yeah that's why people watch big brother there are some people who watch it uh to watch the game being played and there are some people who watch it for the entertaining characters and it's it's really not all that different from any other kind of entertainment. It's just new and different. Uh, but it is very much like uh, it's, there's a, definitely a stigma attached to even that still. Uh, like, oh, you, you're not even playing the video. Like, yes! we haven't even yes! we haven't even gotten around to being OK with people playing video games. What, what are you doing watching them? Exactly. That's like I get some very confused looks from my wife of like, why are you watching this person watching a video game? <laughs> but like, I don't know. There's some inherent enjoy. I, I think I feel like, uh, you know, outside of our immediate circle will be a similar reaction to like people saying, why are you listening to a podcast about Game of Thrones? You already watched the <laughs> show. You know, I feel like it's a very similar comment. I think in general commentary about a piece of pop culture, I feel like it's something that's still trying to sort of uh break into the mainstream a bit i would say that uh, as a content creator someone who i'm really inspired by is doug walker the nostalgia critic uh but even then even though like him and james rolf the angry video game nerd are still kind of like mainstream youtube critics i feel like it's still a little taboo for people to be like why are you watching a movie or a video about this movie why don't you just watch the movie and have your own thoughts yeah, I, I mean like uh I, i'm a big fan of uh total biscuit who does uh like v like Basically, uh, he'll make a video about like a game's settings and uh, like for like a half hour, just be t talking about the settings of the game and like his gen just general thoughts about uh, about it. Um, and he's just he's just like an entertaining guy. Um, but like there's nothing uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like lots of people enjoy those videos. They find them informative and entertaining. Uh, and. You know, it's it's just uh, it's it's I think it's strange for people, especially because of how quickly things have progressed, where it's like, um, you know, just just what, like 20 years ago, maybe like 30 years ago, people only really watched things on TV or at the movies. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, people are starting to watch things online. So what are you doing watching things online? And then 10 years later, again, it's like uh, they're watching things online about the things that they're watching online. And just, what, what, what is happening? What, like, what is this? Um, and so it's very easy to just get, get swept up and, and very confused about like uh, all, all of the new things. Now uh, you, so you're a video editor as well. And I know you, th you said you follow a lot of like, youtube reviewers have you ever thought obviously we're both heavy into podcasting but have you ever thought about like reaching about like you know stepping out of that or stepping into another stream if you will quite literally and like making videos where like the camera's on you and you're talking in like interstitials are cut in 
I, I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I, I made a video almost a, a year ago now, just because I was playing around um, about like uh, my my uh, top five favorite new shows of 2016, um, where it was just uh, I just cut together like clips from the shows and and talked over it. Um, and, and I'm still absolutely like interested in doing that sort of thing. It's mostly just, uh, you know, when big brother starts, I don't have yeah. a ton of time for it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's always like, it's really just another outlet to do what I'm doing on a, on a podcast. Only I get to sort of be, uh, a bit more like of a video person and I get to like yeah. string together some fun shots and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's definitely something I like am interested in. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like, when, when am I going to get around to doing more of it? Yeah, exactly. And well, also the camera's on you, uh, much more in your podcasting than it is on me. The, fortunately so. I don't think people necessarily want to be a main deterrent and people looked at my face for longer than like three seconds at a time but uh yeah it's definitely something that like i've been thinking about as well especially as like a big fan again of people like the nostalgia critic and uh james rolf it definitely involves a lot more production elements you're quite literally filming things but i don't know i I, i'm sort of like thinking out loud here i'm sort of trying to think about like a big project that I want to work on, you know, cause I think that I've been so fortunate in all of the stuff that I get to do in terms of podcasting, but they're very quite literally seasonal, you know, like I, I just wrapped up earlier tonight, uh, stranger things podcast and like all these, all these TV shows I cover, I have a recurring movie podcast, but other than that, everything sort of comes and goes or, or in spurts of months. And, you know, sort of like uh, you, you've gotten to do stuff like the blockumentary and like first one out where it's like more of a recurring thing where you wake up every day and you're like, OK, I'm going to work on this project. And I've been so fortunate with everything I've gotten to work on. But sometimes I feel like that's something that I'm still kind of working towards. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that is. It might involve video. It might involve audio. It might involve writing. I had no idea how much I would enjoy writing until I started doing stuff for Parade. I was so nervous getting to do that and thank Josh Wiggler for so many reasons in particular for just existing. One of them is that he helped me really uh, get in with parade. Uh, But from there, I've really enjoyed getting to write, but you know, I I, I like this idea of sort of having a long overreaching project that I can sort of work on one day at a time. I just need to figure out what the heck that idea is. Yeah. I I mean, uh, I think, I think it's really just like you got to start experimenting with things. And I think that's true of like, anytime you're looking for a creative outlet or maybe even any kind of outlet, um, it's like, I know for me, it's always just been like, I just need to start making something. And then if I'm not into it, then I just drop it and I try something else. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's that's basically like, uh, you know, what I'm what I'm trying to to do with with like, uh, you know, these this secret Hitler that I'm trying to set up. I've I've been teasing it for a while. It's taken a lot, a lot of work to get get it set up. But I think uh, I think it'll be out soon. Um, You know, trying to get like streams of 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 these like uh, these social strategy games, uh, which I think would be very fun. Um, and then also like this podcast itself was just like a random idea that I had yeah. that I was like, Hey, let me, let me try this. And, uh, it, it turned into us having this conversation about it, which is pretty meta. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. um, no, I can't wait for, if I come back for like podcast 50, we get to have this conversation about this conversation about this conversation, <laughs> endless repeating yeah. funhouse mirrors. Yeah, very much so. I I think this brings up an interesting point as well. You know, I'm sure you've had this as well, where a bunch of people have approached me in the past few years and they're like, 
like I don't I don't I don't know if I want to start a podcast like I I I think I would have a lot of fun doing it, but I don't, I don't know. I I can't be as as big as Rob. I don't know what to do. And I think your advice, Taryn, really applies there. Uh, mm-hmm. Put on your Nike shoes and just do it. To be quite honest, yeah. Uh, find a topic that you love to talk about. Get some people together, talk in a microphone about it, and honestly, see what happens. I think people complain about how oh there are too many podcasts out out there. I I think it's such a joy. I love this, that now we have this day and age where you can talk about what you love and just and put it out there on the internet. You could talk with people that you've never met before, people you've only met a few times, or people that you're best friends with, and, and you can sort of just say, I feel passionate about this thing, and maybe just because it speaks personally to me as someone who is so passionate about this stuff but had literally nobody to talk about it with and no conduit to talk through until a few years ago. But I think the idea that... Anybody can podcast. Uh, you know, it's much like the end of the movie Ratatouille. You know, anyone can cook, but you know, I, I think uh, it's it's all about finding something that you love to do because I, your your heart really comes out through the material that you create. Whether it's a podcast or a piece of writing or a dance or a painting or a freaking parody song about the most recent Buddha survivor. Your heart and feelings go into it because you're spending time and effort on it. So at the end of the day, do what you love. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, may- maybe someday uh, you can name a podcast after yourself and be really embarrassed about it for the rest of the time. Uh, see, I haven't gone that far. Uh, B&B, we've gone <laughs> only as far as my last initial. That's that's all. I mean, I'm again, I have those self-esteem issues. I, I'm, I'm way too low on myself to even put my name out there. Uh, so Taryn, you are, you are truly, uh, put yourself out there on the front line volume, uh, <laughs> hiding in the back, uh, under a shield, uh, you know, praying that I'll make it home and not become a, have my wife become a war widow. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I became that person. Uh, but I guess here I am. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this, this was so much fun, Mike. Uh, I'm so glad that I, that I had you on. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to hear some, uh, I feel like we we, we got some uh, we got some uh, you know very serious conversation here. Do you want to hear some fun uh, Mike Bloom stories to uh, to close out the podcast, just to end things on a, a, a perhaps a lighter note? Ab- absolutely. Well, so this is uh, this is something. Maybe this is my own like my brother, my brother and me. Bad advice I can uh, advocate. Uh, when I was a kid in elementary school, uh, admittedly, though I did it in high school, I did have a bit of a bullying problem in elementary school. Uh, so, but I was able to stave it off through a rather unconventional mean. I thought, okay, uh, well, to get a bully off of my tracks, I would need to sort of, you know, throw them off course a little bit, really confuse them. And so I thought, what better to do than kiss them? So (laughs) what I would do was if someone was like getting in my face about to beat me up, I would just plant one on their lips and then run for daylight. Uh, And you know what? I didn't get bullied after that. So I, I have no idea if this is pure luck or if it actually works. But that was how I was able to avoid every stereotypical bully situation you could possibly imagine. It's like uh, reverse bullying. You just bullied them back with kisses. <laughs> that should be on a bumper sticker. Bully them back with kisses. I, I could also uh, probably tell another story uh, about uh, in high school, uh, I was uh, involved, unintentionally involved in a class-wide cheating ring. 
Uh, it was oh something my. out of like it was in a scheme out of like Ocean's Ocean's Eleven, where in our AP economics class, uh, I would like. Uh, I, I remember when I walked into class, there was this this kid, Chris Sacinelli, the driver's ed son, who was like, here, Mike, I saved you a seat. And I'm like, oh, this is nice of him. Okay, I'll sit down. And then we would get, like, occasionally, like, pop quizzes. Uh, and then, you know, our teacher decided to, like, put up the, the number of A's, number of B's, et cetera, on the board every time after it happened. Uh, and then, like, I sort of had, like, a, a Kaiser Soze-like moment uh, about, like, three-quarters of the way through the year when like he pulled me aside and he's like he's like just so you know like i've been copying off of you and i'm like all right it's high school i can i can understand and he's like no you don't understand like this guy's been copying off of you and this guy's been copying off of you like <laughs> remember we were we were in like a, a a row we were in a grouping of like 18 seats how many a's were on that quiz and your mind instantly flashbacks to that 18 number on the screen and so i was saddled with my biggest mission yet the ap economics exam Taryn, it literally revolved around me. They put me, they, like, the entire class conspired to put me in the dead center seat <laughs> of the room, and they worked out an entire mapping system where two people would copy off of me. It was like a friggin' Fibonacci sequence, where two people would copy off of me, and then, like, three of them would copy off of them, and it would spread throughout the entire class. So... Imagine walking into an AP exam knowing not only does your entire, uh, just, you know, this AP score and your college credit rely on this, also 25 other students' college credit relies on it. It was, I, I just can't believe how intricate that scheme became. Oh, how, how did that many people think, like, uh, like the, I'm just better off, like, not answering my own questions? Senioritis, Taryn. Senioritis. Uh, <laughs> speaking, so. speaking of senioritis, I, I will tell one more story that is really funny uh, and also probably a reason that kids out there do not do drugs. Uh, so there was one time, in, again in high school, where again, senioritis, we're like, we don't care. We're going to graduate. We can do whatever we want. Uh, we were told that there was going to be an assembly at school that day. And so uh, a bunch of my like music friends were like, Hey, like, let's, uh, let's like leave school for a second. We'll go to this clearing and we'll go get high. And I'm like, all right, sure. That makes sense. Uh, why the hell not? Uh, this will help like pass the time easier at least. So we did, we got high, we came back, sat in our seats in the auditorium. Uh, the auditorium was, had, uh, on display a mothers against drunk driving assembly, uh, for those of you that don't know Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, it's a very good cause. Uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, parents who have lost their child children due to drunk driving. They speak out against it. And uh, with that presentation comes a slideshow of very graphic imagery of aftermaths from car accidents involving said teenagers. Uh, now, people who know me from podcasts know that I, I do not, uh, I'm not a big fan of gore to begin with. Imagine your uh, heightened and simultaneously dulled senses from marijuana at the same time, and it was disastrous. Apparently, according to one of my best friends, he had to pry me out of the seat uh, because I was so traumatized just sitting there stark and pale after watching that presentation. Now the issue is I am stoned out of my mind for the rest of the school day. Uh, I remember going to my AP calculus class, and luckily, luckily, 
I didn't need to do anything. I had already taken the AP exam for that, which luckily I was not the the uh, the linchpin of in that regard. Everyone decided to do their own math there. So they're like, okay, you can just sort of like sit around. Here's a here's a pad and paper. Probably the worst thing you could have gave, given me because Taryn, for 45 straight minutes, I drew nothing but briefcases all <laughs> over this pad of paper. I drew cartoons of briefcases. I drew 17 different types of briefcases. I don't know why my mind was fixated around the idea of a briefcase. Maybe it was because it was a funny sounding word, but I felt like I was, I don't know, out of, it probably looked like I was like scribbling furiously. Like I was some sort of like weird Leonardo da Vinci type, but all I was doing was just freaking drawing suitcases the other thing that I really remember from that day was in my psychology and literature class, I was meant to present a poem I wrote about the id, ego, and superego. It was a pretty serious poem. It was about, like, I have three sisters, one wants to kill the other one, one killed itself, etc. But I couldn't make it through because I was literally, like, pissing my pants laughing the entire time I was reading the poem. This really serious, melancholy poem to my class as an assignment, I could not, I was like in tears laughing. And the class was as well because they had no idea what the, what the hell was going on. I ended up squeaking out like a passing grade from that assignment. But uh, suffice it to say, I very rarely imbibe in those types of substances these days just because I realized that uh, like once you get high, the essentially anything can happen to you in the hours after that and things can get really weird really quickly and you might be just engulfed in briefcases you might when you are engulfed in briefcases that's my uh, favorite david sedaris book so yeah those are those i mean i i have a bunch of other insane stories from my life uh, about the time like I was hospitalized with E. coli or the time that I ended up ho get, uh, hooking up with somebody when I had uh, magic marker abs drawn onto my chest. But uh, yeah, th this was I just I decided to like throw out some random stories at the end there uh, just to show how truly ridiculous of a person I am. If the other, uh, you know, nearly two hours of the podcast has not been an indication at this point. Did, did the w w did you manage to fool somebody with the magic marker abs or or was I, it like I, an ironic I, thing i really don't know that, that's an entire story on its own we hooked up to the soundtrack <laughs> of happy feet for some reason it's a it's a it's a we watched heroes and then ate macaroni and cheese it was it was a very and it was like one of the first hooks up hookups of my college career as well so that's an entirely different thing but yeah i can never watch the movie happy feet again <laughs> Your life is very foreign to me. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's it's even foreign to me sometimes. But you know what? I I am very grateful for the experiences, both good and bad, that I've had so far. That sort of it really makes you the person that you are. And look, as I sort of said throughout the course of this podcast, I'm consistently working to to better myself as a person, as a podcaster, as a content creator. But I am eternally grateful to so many groups of people, the listeners out there who. You know, did you take in all the content that I do? Uh, believe it or not, Taryn, this is the sixth podcast I've done in the course of 48 hours. It's not usually like this, but I think it's a symbol of just how lucky I am to get to talk about all this stuff. Obviously, all the people that I get to podcast with, especially like Rob Cesarino and Mario Lanza are like my two podcast dads. They took me in off the street and uh, essentially sort of made me what I am today. So I'm, I'm so grateful to them for that. And obviously... I would not be where I am today as a person without Angela. Uh, and I think I've talked to you earlier about how substantial she's been in my life. And 
yeah, I, I would not have been able to step out onto a limb and do this type of stuff with her sort of holding onto the tree trunk for me to say, you know what? I, I got you. You're taken care of no matter what. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been this has been great. Um, if anyone wants to subscribe to this podcast, you can find it uh, on iTunes, The Terran Show. Uh, feel free to leave a review as well. Um, and uh, you can also obviously find it on robhaswebsite.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Armstrong Terran. Uh, Mike, how can people find you and your various podcasts? Oh, boy. Here's, here's where this gets past the two-hour mark with all the plugs that I do. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to be quick. You can find me on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, that's where I put out all the stuff that I do. In terms of writing, I do uh, coverage of Big Brother and Survivor and actually a little bit of Game of Thrones for Parade. I've been really getting to enjoy those. I'm in the middle of the Survivor season right now getting through those exit interviews from a scripted perspective. Uh, I do podcasts on post-show recaps uh, covering Saturday Night Live. I also, at the time we recorded this, just did a podcast with Rob and Akiba Winokur about the most recent episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm as a big theater guy. Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, coincidental uh, cameo on that definitely made some nice connective tissue with my cameo on there. I do a movie podcast with AJ Mass called The Hamster Factor, uh, despite how much it may seem I might know about pop culture. I have seen surprisingly very few films. Um, I'm assuming much to your consternation, Taryn, but uh, AJ <laughs> Mass is trying to fix that. Uh, the podcast has him showing me a movie that I've never seen before, and we sort of compare and contrast our opinions there. I recently also appeared on a podcast called The Franchise, which takes a look at movie franchises. I watched. Uh, I talked about Jurassic Park 1 and 2. Jurassic Park 1 was so pivotal to my enjoyment of film, Jurassic Park 2. Um, had a dinosaur going through San Diego. I really think that's really all I can say. Uh, and and then uh, I also do a bunch of stuff on the Jay and Jack network, uh, which has really been an amazing dream come true as well. Being such a lost head, getting to talk with those guys about that stuff is incredible. I've been covering Westworld, The Leftovers. We just finished up Stranger Things with them. Over on Reality TV, we mentioned the RHAP B&B before, where every week Liana, and I, Liana Boris and I do some really crazy, silly stuff about Survivor. We have a lot of fun getting to do that. I also do coverage of Top Chef, which is coming up in a few weeks. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. I appear in a few other Survivor podcasts from time to time. Uh, and the Survivor Historians, as always, uh, we just released a Thanksgiving episode set talking about the five or six things from Survivor that we're each really thankful for with the, the show, the community, the podcast. Just a nice little interstitial between Token Cheens and Samoa, nestled nicely in the middle of that sandwich between Coach and Russell. So be sure to check that out. And I'm sure more will randomly come between now and whenever people listen to this, but I am so grateful that I have an opportunity to get to talk about so many things in this microphone that has been covered with three years of spit at this point. <laughs> Maybe it's time for a new one. Uh, no, 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 you can't change out the mic. That's too super, too superstitious in that regard. And I wanted to thank you as well, Taryn, for, uh, for having me on, uh, you know, I, I remember back back in the day when I I had you on a Big Brother Canada three recap, and to yeah. see how far you've come, and, and you know, to, to, for you to be able to do this for a living, it, it's it's really fantastic, and I love the opportunity for you to be able to like explore the other sides, as you mentioned before, of reality TV contestants and podcasters hope this podcast was uh I, I i hope people enjoyed this podcast getting to know me a little more uh and i hope that yeah, the hope the the book 
of Mike Bloom was entertaining enough for everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I remember uh, doing that podcast with you. It was, it was one of the early ones for sure that I was a part of. And uh, I remember you saying to me, like, uh, just wait, like, this is going to take over your life. And um, look, it did. Yeah, that was a, a who knew it was a, definitely a profit, yeah. I guess, in that regard. I'm, all, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a profit only for the non for the things that don't really matter, like when people will have podcasts take over their lives. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, make sure you again, of course, check out Harry's dot com slash Taryn if you want five dollars off. Uh, your order and uh, again just thank you everyone for joining me on these 20 lovely episodes uh, here's to 20 more we will see you next time Terrence asking questions Terrence finding out Terrence looking deeper that's what it's all about it's the Terrence show so you